0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We are speaking here on the morning of Friday, September 2nd, 2022. And my guest today is State Senator Gustavo Rivera of the Bronx. He recently won a highly competitive, hard fought, challenging Democratic primary to very likely now remain in the state Senate, given the district is overwhelmingly Democratic. It was a contested Democratic primary that was a result of a number of things, including the massive redistricting that occurred earlier this year, and then leading up to the August primary, which was moved from June for state Senate and U.S. House races, as many listeners know, of course, making for two primaries this summer, State Senator Rivera had a shifting district to then run in in the 33rd State Senate District, which picked up a whole bunch of new neighborhoods, lost some neighborhoods from its current form, and he wound up in a very competitive Democratic primary with Miguelina Camillo, who wound up being supported by many elected officials, the Bronx Democratic Party and others, while State Senator Rivera found his support remaining from His progressive allies and others, including the Working Families Party, a number of labor unions. uh, I won't list them all now. You can find them on his campaign website. Uh, A number of elected officials, including many of his state Senate colleagues and others. Again, I won't go into the full list, but it was a very pitched battle between Miguelina Camillo on one side with her supporters and State Senator Rivera on the other As of the results we have at this time in the 33rd State Senate District primary, Senator Rivera has right at uh, near 52% of the vote. Miguelina Camillo at about 47 and change of the vote out of roughly 11,000 votes counted. There are still some absentee ballots being counted and finalized, so the numbers will shift slightly. But State Senator Rivera has about 5,700 votes and Camillo about 5,200. So we are going to get into what happened in this race, why it was so close, why there were so many uh, powerful forces looking to remove State Senator Rivera from office, and many powerful forces working to keep him in office, how he plans to branch out in this new district to really get to know all of his new constituents, and of course uh, build bridges with those who did not vote for him in just a moment here. First, If you missed any recent episodes of the podcast here on Max Politics, find them wherever you get podcasts or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette website. We've had some really interesting discussions in recent uh, days and weeks, especially post-August primary. I spoke with Mara Gay of the New York Times editorial board about the editorial board's endorsements in three key congressional races and the outcomes of those primaries. I spoke with City and State's Jeff Colton, breaking down a whole bunch of the state Senate primaries, including this one. Uh, But we had to run through a whole bunch, so we didn't get to go into a lot of depth on on much of anything. And then just recently before this conversation, I spoke shifting gears with Dennis Walcott, who chairs the New York City Districting Commission that is in charge of drawing new lines for New York City Council districts. There's more redistricting happening uh, ahead of next year's 2023 New York City council election. So that's a sample of recent conversations. Find them all at Max Politics or at the Gotham Gazette website. State Senator Gustavo Rivera joins me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the taking the time. I know it's been very busy and chaotic leading up to primary day and then since primary day. But thank you for being here. How are you?
1: A great pleasure. Not 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 very rested so far, but uh, that will certainly happen soon. Describe a little bit how your 33rd state Senate district
0: shifted here, just broad strokes on the geography, the the new 33rd state Senate district that you had to run in here as a result of redistricting, or I should say, chose to run in. Um, it has uh, a whole bunch of the Northwest Bronx that you didn't have in your current 33rd state Senate district. Give people just a little overview of how the the district that you ran in and have won this primary and is different than the district you've been representing for uh, several terms?
1: Well, first of all, the newly drawn 33rd is roughly about 50 percent of the district I currently represent. So yes. the one I've represented for over 11 years, including uh, my district offices within it, uh, when I got to the majority, there's, there's millions of dollars that I managed to be able to secure for parks and schools and libraries and stuff for this part that will continue to be in the district. There's a few neighborhoods that made their way back, namely Norwood, Tracy Towers and Scott Tower. Uh, Those I represented very briefly back in 2010 when I was first elected. I have been here long enough to have survived two of these redistricting messes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, and so between those two, it's about 70 percent of a district that I've represented prior Then the addition, 30%. So basically what happened was that south of about St. Barnabas, so 180th Street or so, right below Belmont, all of that, which I currently cover all the way down to 168th and Webster, all of that in the southern part of my district got chopped off. And then the additions were uh, namely the the most important ones were Riverdale. So I will have all of Riverdale all the way up from Spite and you know, from Spite and Dibble all the way up to the Yonkers line. And uh, it now, my district now goes to the other side of the parkway and will include uh, pieces of Allerton um, and more of Van Nest and Morris Park, which I represent right now, but it will be a little bit more. So so it expanded north and a little bit east, and most of the southern part of the district uh, got chopped off.
0: And as I almost always do, I want to direct listeners to the Redistricting in New York website from the CUNY Mapping Service. Our friend Stephen Romaluski does a great job there with his team. Uh, And you can look at the new 33rd State Senate District. And if you uh, move the dial there a little bit, you can actually see an overlay of the current and the new, and I'm looking at that right now as we speak, and it is. And, quite- and
1: by the way, I, I forgot to to tell you, <laughs> to remind you of an important, an incredibly important part of this whole mess, which is the 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 fact that the place that I'm currently living in was drawn two blocks out of that new district. So. I will now have to think about the pain of moving out of my rent stabilized apartment in a building that I've lived in for over 2 decades. Mm-hmm. I'm not this part this part I was not looking forward to. I'm looking forward to continuing to represent this district and to do more work up in Albany, but this part I'm not looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Um but it's 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 my reality now, so I will have a year to make that shift and I will do the Research in the next couple of months to see exactly where that's going to be. So,
0: so that actually gets at interesting pieces of the whole controversy that we won't go into all the ins and outs. But these district lines shifted so much that you had a decision to make about where you were going to run. As you said, much of your current district wound up in the new district, but not your home. Uh, Miguelina Camillo, your opponent, it wound up being this very charged, uh, at times sort of ugly primary battle, but also fairly substantive in some ways. She had planned to run in what looked like a different district. But then as soon as this district looked like it looked and it included where she, her base, her home, she planned to run in this district. So it became this highly competitive and charged primary between the two of you and then lots of powers that be, including her very close allies in the Bronx Democratic Party, which you've always had sort of an arm's length, uh, at least relationship with. Uh stuck with her, went with her, a number of other elected officials did as well, including people you've had some rivalry with, like Assemblymember Jeffrey Dinowitz, who represents a lot of that Northwest territory. Say a little bit about how this all uh went down and your take on why um, you know, why it became this really pitched contentious battle that wound up becoming such a close primary. Are you uh thinking now and have thought that? once you as an incumbent decided to run in this district that represent you know that includes a lot of your current district that
1: uh,
0: those folks should have really stood down you know talk a little bit about how this all went down
1: well i obviously you know let's 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 transport ourselves back to 2012 very briefly when the prior governor, insisted that we needed to vote on a, on a constitutional amendment to create a supposedly independent process of redistricting. I was one of the few people who voted against it all the way back then because I knew just looking at it on a piece of paper that it was going to be a mess. Fast forward, this whole process was something that none of us really wanted. I mean, it was it was a it was a messy process that I'm that you've talked about it you know, at length, and so I won't go into it now. But it wasn't—it wasn't something that we, that any of us, really wanted. It was a conflict that just came to be because, ultimately, for me, I, I chose to run in the newly drawn thirty-third because it's the one that makes the most sense. It is the one that has the biggest chunk of the district I currently represent, which means thousands upon thousands of people that I've represented for over a decade. District offices within it, it includes many neighborhoods that I've represented before, et cetera, et cetera. It just made the most sense. Um, And so the decision made by the county organization, as I said many times, uh, and it was it was disappointing, but not surprising, I guess. It was it was made because uh, I believe uh, ultimately what they chose was someone who was who had loyalty to the party organization. Uh, And what was disappointing is that you would have thought that the work that I have done in the last 11 years would have meant something. And. Unfortunately, the decision that they made was to go in that direction. But what I what I want to just underline is that the ultimate result, and certainly what I did during the campaign, uh, was to talk about the work that me and my team have done legislatively and in the community. Uh, and regardless of the just a torrent of dark money, and I'm sure we will get to that. Uh, that has been that was uh, that was out there spewing all sorts of nonsense and lies about who I am and what I stand for. It's the work that ultimately shone through, and that is what has always been the driving force for me. For me, this is about the loyalty that I have to my constituency. My loyalty is not to a party organization, it is not to a particular elected official. It is to the constituency that elected me before, the one that has consistently reelected me, and this new one that I will have now. Um, and my work will continue to be that. So, the reason it was contentious, I would, I would, you know, I would posit that it was a choice of the county organization to go down this road. It was not mine. Um, I think that anybody would tell you that any other. In, incumbent in the in the entire Bronx would have not had a similar situation. I asked them to either reconsider or to remain neutral, because to because again, I am sincerely believe in democracy. So if somebody wants to run, I'm not going to tell them that they shouldn't run. And like we did the last two months, I have no problem having conversations about what my record actually is and what my vision is for. For my continued work in the Senate. I've never had an issue with that. And I will never tell anybody that they shouldn't run. But the decision of the county organization and everybody else to to be supportive of my opponent in, in, you know, considering the work that I have that I have done for this community and for the state, that was disappointing. But, you know, Mm -hmm. here we are.
0: Uh, I want to come back to that in a minute. But I was going to ask you, and so stay on this, what you ran on, you know, remind listeners, especially there's lots of people listening who, you know, weren't focused in on your Senate district. Don't live there. Uh, What what were the top things that you were running on on that record? What were you touting in this in this election, especially including considering this new constituency that Mm -hmm. you needed to reach out to more? What were you running on?
1: Well, running both of my legislative record and my community record, uh, let's stick to the community record first. I'm incredibly proud of the fact that in the 11 years that my team and I have been working for the 33rd District, we have kept literally thousands of people in their homes, helped them find legal representation, helped them uh, fight state agencies or city agencies, uh, helped them organize against bad landlords. I mean, we have done uh, an amazing amount of work. To help people out on every on 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 day to day issues, um, and that that has been and that is something that that I'm incredibly proud of the work that, that we've done in the community, uh, and in the legislative side, as the first person of color or first uh, or first Bronxite to ever chair the the health committee, uh, considering the battles that I'm fighting to secure universal health care for folks, talking about the the victories that we've had around. Uh, around lead poisoning for children, Dakota's law was just signed by the governor just a couple of weeks ago. The 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 battle that we're that we're fighting against medical debt. There's a bill that I'm hoping that the governor will sign soon related to medical debt, and the work that I've done for all of this time to defend safety net hospitals and to defend our Medicaid system and to make sure that we have uh, nursing homes treat people fairly, et cetera, et cetera. Like all of that, so I talked about my legislative work and my community work, uh, and uh, and then. And then listened to because there's a a bunch of folks that I have not represented before that I will start representing now. And so it was about engaging with with these with these folks. And I I learned certainly that although the demographics are going to slightly shift. That there are many issues that impact these folks as well are issues of housing, seniors, uh, health, and lack of access to health care. Like all of these things are are, are things that are very familiar to me because they're what I've been fighting for for the last 11 years. And I don't think that it is radical. To fight for higher taxes on the wealthy or for universal health care, um, you know, or or or, fa- or for fair housing policy. All of these things are what I've consistently, consistently fought for. And so that's what I did. I just talked about who I am, what I've done, and then asked to be judged on that. And I'm very proud that mm-hmm. the result says that my constituency wants me to continue doing the work.
0: Um, two things you hit on that I want to follow up on. One, uh, shifting demographics of the district, according to the redistricting new website from the CUNY Mapping Service, this district will get roughly um, 10% or so less Hispanic and increase uh, the white population by uh, more than 10%. Um, so so that that reflects some of the shifting nature of the district, including that Movement towards the the Northwest Bronx, there and including Riverdale and and Fieldston, some of that territory. And that also coincides with with what you just mentioned about running on things like universal health care, raising taxes on the wealthy, some of these more progressive positions that don't always link up with some of those areas in the Northwest Bronx. Talk about that a little bit and how now that you by all appearances are winning this election, the general election will not be competitive uh, representing these areas. How does that, how do you have to build bridges? Do you have to moderate your positions at all because you have a new constituents, constituency? How, how, do you, how are you thinking about that?
1: Again, I do not think that my positions are radical. I do not think that fighting for universal healthcare is a crazy radical thing. I do not believe that fighting for fair housing policy is a crazy radical thing. I don't think that fighting for full funding for public schools is a crazy thing. I don't fight for fighting for universal healthcare. Well, all these things are things that I spoke to folks about and the connection was immediate. Like there, there's many folks there. I, I was lucky to have some folks who may not have been represented by me before, but who know about my work around the New York Health Act there were there were many folks that I'm incredibly privileged to, and, and, and blessed to have met in this, uh, you know, in, this, in the last couple of months who became very active volunteers precisely because they know the work that I've done around universal health care. Uh, so so I do not believe that these are these are radical ideas. And I'll tell you this, the way that I've always functioned as elected official, I know what my principles and what my values are. Right. And so what I need to make decisions about policy is I need to understand the interests of my constituency and what those values and principles are. Those are the two prisms, if you will, that I use. And then I gather information about a particular issue, whatever that whatever that issue might be. And those prisms. Those are the prisms that it runs through, what my principles and values are and what the interests of my constituency are. And, for example, I'll give you a quick example. Back in 2011, I was one of 32 folks on the Senate floor, as you know, who voted for marriage equality. I was very proud of that vote. There were constituencies in my district, the one that I currently represent, particularly around religious communities. Some uh, uh, folks in the, uh, you know, there's there's folks that... uh, very more conservative religious folks who said you are no longer invited to come to our church because you voted for marriage equality. And I said to them, um, that is perfectly fine. It is your church. If you do not want to invite me, I will not come. But if you did invite me, I will tell you why I made this decision and why I believe it's a basic issue of human rights. But whether you invite me or not or whether you like me or not, I still work for you. So if you need something from me, please reach out. That's the way that I've always functioned and that's the way I will continue to function.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. why um why was this as close as it was uh you are a sitting state senator you have this record you are you know by all appearances a very good campaigner obviously as people can hear you you're passionate you know you have a lot of energy uh for for this work um why, why did you almost lose i mean what what do you attribute that to and and does it do you have any lessons from it that you're going to take forward
1: First of all, I did not almost lose. I won, sir. That's number one. Number two, <laughs> okay. Number two. We, we covered
0: that that framing. I got no. you. I got okay. you. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. The, but the reality is that there was an enormous amount of money and resources spent in this district, particularly in the parts of the district that have yeah. that I have not represented. So that that lied about what my record is. And let's be really honest. And I definitely want to I just want to underline this. And I'm there's some folks whose actions I'm disappointed in. Uh, but there's some actually there, there's some folks whose actions I am not disappointed in. But I just want to point out. Um, Jeff Dinowitz took a lot of time to lie over and over and over and over again about who I am, what I do, what my votes are the amount of times that I had to have conversations where I had to explain to people when I was asked whether I was anti-Semitic or not, I had to do that over and over and over and over again. And a lot of that was because of the actions that the independent expenditures took a lot of money, a lot of money, lying about what my actions have been and what my positions are. And they were aided and abetted by Jeff Dinowitz on the ground. So, you know, him, him, I'll name specifically because I know for a fact that he was doing this over and over and over again. Um, I don't necessarily think that the Camilo campaign directly was participating in these things. And I'll give her credit, like her campaign in particular spoke about her story and, you know, and, and to her credit, I mean, I'm, I've only met the lady once in person. We've debated twice. I don't really know her, but, but she seems like a, like a fine person, uh, you know, has has a a good history. And I hope that she continues. I wish her well on her on her continued efforts of public service. Um, But the the just the incredible amount of money that was spent on lying about me over and over and over again, um, aided and abetted in particular by Jeff Dinowitz was like it was that's the type of thing that we'll do when you have when you have folks who do not know you. Like there are folks who do know me and know about my work, certainly the districts that I've represented for eleven years, uh, and but you have people who don't who don't know you, and then the first thing that they hear about you is that you're this crazy radical who who hates you. Mm-hmm. That that will have an
0: impact on some folks. Uh, look, so let me just pause you there. So Assembly Member Dinowitz, uh, you've had a bit of a rivalry over the last uh, I don't know a couple of years, especially. Um, there's there's ins and outs of that, but you're obviously uh, rivals opponents in some ways. What was he what was he lying about? I mean, what 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 are you, what are you saying was the false uh, impressions that he was giving voters?
1: So in particular, he was talking about uh, BDS and we can we can have a long conversation about it if you'd like. But the the uh the the thing that he was telling people was that I was supportive of BDS and what he was doing was not been giving any nuance to votes that I've taken in the Senate floor mm-hmm. that I explained to people once they asked me it's like so did you take these votes I said yes and I'll tell you why I took them that
0: mm-hmm. was just, just of- quickly this is boycott divestment sanctions okay. movement uh so that is, did, is critical so of Israel he, mm-hmm. yeah
1: so basically what he did was he took a community for whom uh for whom Israel is an incredibly important and essential issue to many folks up there who have direct connections to folks backing Israel uh, and then started to say that I was supportive of folks who did not want Israel to exist. And so without just provide without providing any context for the votes that I have taken related to this, and very quickly, there were two votes back in 2014 and 2015 in bills that were introduced by Jeff Klein and then by some Republicans, I believe. But these votes were about uh, in the case of the Klein, uh, the Klein bill that was introduced back in twenty fourteen that I debated on the floor with, with Jeff Klein, I voted against because what he suggested was that mem- if they were if they were faculty members of CUNY and SUNY who belonged to this organization that had taken a vote, it's a, a an academic organization that had taken a vote to support BDS as a as a position in their in their board that if you were a faculty member of CUNY and SUNY and you belong to these organizations, then now those schools couldn't get state funding. I thought that was way too far. I said it on the floor. I voted against it, but instead of providing any nuance to what that vote was, he would repeat over and over again. Oh, he supports BDS, which is not true. I do not, but I believe that we should not criminalize it. And so, and that's something, that's a position that I have taken and so, what I did to folks, and I had to do over and over again, was to explain to them. Let me tell you what my positions actually are. But the point here is that, as opposed to providing the nuance, he was just doing something that he knew, and for certain folks, would get a certain response. And by doing that, uh, which is something that I deeply do not appreciate, when you are lying about what my record actually is, then you're and you're doing it because you believe it'll cause a it'll be a political benefit. Um, you know that's something that's it, it. That's not that's not something that's the. You know it's just not. It it did not hit me very well. Do you know what I mean? And it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certainly restraining myself in this instance. Like,
0: I, I hear you. I hear yeah, you. Monitoring. It, there's, yeah, it, there's. You're there's, being very clear about Assembly or but but holding back. Uh, uh, I hear. Yes. So so you had. Um, a whole lot of support, Working Families Party, uh, lots of your state Senate colleagues, including state Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins and Deputy Leader Michael Gennaris, who runs the Senate campaign uh, arm. Uh, many others I won't list, Controller Brad Lander and a whole lot of labor unions, not all, but a whole lot, including 1199 and the nurses and, and UFT and others. Um, but your opponent had a very big groundswell that was even beyond uh, Assemblymember Dinowitz and maybe some people you've had some real, you know, personal rivalry with. You, we've mentioned that, uh, Michelina Camillo was close with the Bronx Democratic Party and they were planning to support her in a in a different race. And then the lines were shifting and they stuck with her. Representative Adriano Espaillat, uh, Richie Torres, as well uh, Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie uh, and, and others. Mayor Eric Adams, uh, Borough President Vanessa Gibson. Did was this about they're all sort of on one club and so there was sort of no relationship there that was really going to work with you? How do you sort of explain that many prominent elected officials going against you in your own party um, in this primary?
1: That's something you're going to have to ask them. What I want to linger on is the folks that uh, that I'm incredibly proud to have received support from. Uh, First of all, and most importantly, my constituency, folks who reelected me. But certainly folks in labor, uh, whether you mentioned 1199 the nurses, uh, TWU, CWA, RWDSU, uh, HTC, uh, certainly the Working Families Party. I, I mean, I could go on. And these are folks who I've worked with very closely over the last 11 years and who recognize, again, this all has to be about the work. Mm-hmm. This is about the work. Ben. And that is what I want to focus on. And for me, it, for, for me, it's like that's they, the 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 reason why they chose to support to support her that's something you're going to have to ask them mm-hmm. but ultimately for me it's about the work even with the folks who are uh, because I know in particular there were a few there were a few unions who went with her And they made that decision that's on that's on them, but Mm -hmm. I still look forward to working with them next year when I will be back in the Senate. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's what I will continue to focus on.
0: One of the things that you get lauded for a lot is independence. This is part of how you won your seat in the first place, which maybe if we have a few minutes uh, in in a few minutes to, to go over, because there are probably many people listening who don't know that history. Um, But also you know, sort of questions about how you play in the sandbox. Um, Are you are you do you rethink any of that coming out of a battle like this? Um, You know, just sort of how you uh, get along with colleagues and how you, you know, sort of approach um,
1: those relationships. There's certainly I mean, I've certainly been known sometimes to 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 stand up to people that need to be stood up with to stood up to. I remind you and certainly uh, Cuomo was no friend of mine. And I stood up to him long before many of my colleagues did. And that was because I saw that his actions ultimately were not creating good governance for my constituency. Mm -hmm. That's who I will always stand up for. And if folks want to work along with me to make the lives of my constituency better, I am all in. So, you know, uh, you know, that's 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 how I will always function here. And that is both my strength and my weakness, my ultimate loyalty. To the reason, just to talk a little bit about the history, as you said, when I ran originally in 2010, when I ran against Pedro Espada, who then served six years in federal prison for stealing public money after I defeated him, that guy, when I ran against him, there's some folks in the county organization at the time who dissuaded me from running. And not because they supported him, but because they had reached some sort of detente. They were like, well, he's over there, we're over here, let's just leave it alone. And my response was like, no. Well, now I'm not going to leave it alone. The guy is deeply disrespecting the people he's supposed to represent. These are poor working class folks who rely on their representatives. And this guy doesn't even live in the neighborhood he's supposed to represent. Like how? No, I am not going to let him do this. He flipped the Senate to Republican hands, therefore making it easier for all the powers that be that crush my folks every single day. To continue to do that, no, I'm not doing that. I am running against them, and I'm going to beat him. So that is how I came to this. I came to this ultimately without, in 2010, I'd never run before, never raised a single dollar in my life. I had been involved in campaigns before, so I certainly knew how to do it, but I'd never done it before. I was never a candidate before then, but I ran in 2020 because I felt compelled to do it. I felt a sense of obligation because of the folks who were here who needed that representation. That zeal has not changed. That will always be my driving goal. It is about representing my constituency. It's about serving these folks. The battles that I fight, for example, right now, playing well in the sandbox, I want to have universal health care. I want to get the New York Health Act passed to make sure that every single New Yorker has health care, period. Not health insurance, because health insurance is ultimately a way for you not to get health care. That's something I want to do. Does that upset some people? Yes, it does. Is that something that is absolutely necessary to make the lives of my constituency and every New Yorker better? Yes. Am I willing to get in the fights for that? Yes, I am. I don't mind the scraps. If the scrapping is about making people's lives better, that's what my job is. Now, I understand that relationships are necessary to be able to get governance done. I get that. And I would point you to all the folks in labor, elected officials who supported me, or folks who chose to stay out of it because they said, you know what? We wanna work with whomever is here afterwards, but we do have a good working relationship, et cetera. Like there's plenty that I've gotten done over the last couple of years with folks who wanna to work together. So the underlining of like, do I like, do I like go like, you know, am I a guy you wanna have a beer with? Yes, if I actually like you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit down with somebody again. This my, my strengths and my weaknesses are very clear. I will be honest with you about how I feel about you. Like Cuomo knows this very well, uh, and I'm not going to kiss your bottom just because you're one of the folks in power. If if you want to work together to make people's lives better, I am all in. Mm-hmm. One of
0: the issues uh, you haven't brought up that seems to be part of the part of the rub here is is charter schools. How do you wrestle with uh, support? And opposition to the growth of charter schools, as someone representing a lot of uh, Latino communities where charter schools appear to be very popular, um, and and sort of a general, uh, well, you characterize it, but seemingly general opposition to the growth of charter schools. And there were obviously a lot of very people very supportive of charter schools, putting some of that outside money in against you, um, in part because. Uh, and this is a very, su- this is a very substantive piece of the divide This is not just, you know, sort of playing in the sandbox stuff. This is, this is a, a big piece of substance here, seemingly because a lot of the people who were with your opponent are supporters of the expansion of charter schools in, in, in many instances, talk about the politics and the policy there and how you are wrestling with that.
1: The overall majority of students, both in my district and around the state go to public schools. Now there are charter schools in my district. And as I've told charters, yes. Char-
0: well, I, I just want charter schools are public schools. They're run by private entities and they don't, you know, have the same teachers union contracts and other restrictions from certain educational uh, bodies, but they are, they are public schools.
1: I repeat again, the overwhelming majority of students in my district, yes. as well as across the state, go to public schools that are not charter. Okay. Is that acceptable to you, man? It works for back. me. Thank you. So the overall majority of folks go there. Now, there are charter schools in my district, yes. And as I've told parents and teachers who work at charter schools, if you're a charter school in my district, I certainly want you to succeed. And I want students in your classroom to succeed. I do not want charter schools to, to not create good outcomes for students, but my goal has to be to focus on where the majority of students go. And I'll remind you, battles that one of the battles that I that I was that I've been fighting for, uh, that I fought for for the entire time that I've been in the Senate, for it was to get make make sure that the campaign for fiscal equity was paid back. Right, this is the lawsuit that was brought against the state, making making the case that the state underfunded schools for a long time, and then was one and then the prior governor did not want to pay that up for a while and we finally started moving record amounts of funding both last year and this year and for some reason the city's deciding to cut funding which is insane to me and we can get into that but the point is my goal has to be to make sure that we can get that funding now we managed to get that funding mm-hmm. from the state now we have to make sure it flows to schools like the ones that are in my district who there are many, many needs in these dist- in these schools. There are many public schools in my district that do an amazing amount of work, an amazing job in, in, in serving their students and having successful outcomes with very few resources. I want to give them more so that they can do an even better job. So the, the but, but actually my colleague, uh, Jabari Brisport, was pointing this out the other day in, in, in relation To this decision, this boneheaded decision that the mayor has made to actually cut funding from schools, even though we've given them public, we've given the city record funding to be able to flow to it. The idea is that uh, that if you and, and Republicans do this all the time and this is Jabari was pointing this out and I agree Republicans. Underfund a certain public service, call public service crappy. Well, they call public service crappy first, then they underfund that service, therefore making a case that we should privatize it because that'll make it all better. So the idea that and the idea that the that the mayor is deciding to cut funding because we have less students. That does not mean that we have less needs. I can take you to 20 to twenty schools in my district or more that have serious capital needs that could be addressed by some of this funding. There are needs for counseling. There are needs for, for phys ed teachers. There are needs for all sorts of things that less students doesn't mean that you should cut the funding. It means you should use that, that extra money that you have because you have less pupils to invest in the infrastructure of these institutions so that they can provide high quality education in every single neighborhood. So this idea idea that, you know, there's some folks who, you know, uh, it, and, and I will not, I'm, and, and I'm here, I want to make sure that this is very, very clear. I'm not attacking students in charter schools, teachers in charter schools, certainly not parents in charter schools. There are folks who believe in the charter school model as the model of education and want to fund it. And they also fund these dark money packs that then go on to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars lying about people's records and try to make them seem crazy. So that is something that happens. So the policy the, and the policy conversation, we will always be able to have that. I have no, no problem with it. And I've sat with, uh, I've written sometimes letters of support on expansions of particular charter schools in my district. Sometimes mm-hmm. I haven't. Sometimes I have. But ultimately, if the overwhelming majority of students in my district and around the state are in public schools that are not charter, our focus needs to be on that, mm-hmm. because we're not going to flip the entire system over to a semi-privatized system of charters. Like we, We're not going to do that. And we shouldn't do that.
0: If uh anyone listening wants to hear more charter school discussion, I had a very interesting conversation uh, I guess a bunch of months back now at this point with James Merriman, who runs the New York City Charter School Center. Uh and uh by many accounts is a is a very reasonable Guy, I don't know what you think of him. He's been leading the charter school center for quite some time. And we we got into a whole bunch of, of stuff on on a lot of this. So uh, people can find that episode of the of the podcast. I, I don't recall exactly when it was at this point, but it was before election season. Um, have you sp- have you spoken to um I don't know, Congressman Bayat, uh State Senator Bailey, who runs the Bronx Democratic Party, Speaker Hasty. Any of these folks who supported your opponent? Have you spoken to
1: any of them since primary night? I, uh, I spoke very briefly to the We had, I was just on a trip to um, the to Dominican Republic and I saw him briefly there, but we didn't really have a conversation. It was in a part of a larger meeting and we got to talk for like, you know, a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've uh, spoken briefly to Senator Bailey, who is uh, on vacation with his family. Mm -hmm. So I haven't had a chance to talk deeply to either of them. Um, And that's, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. What is, is, is um,
0: Congressman Espaya, you know, he, he backed your opponent. He backed um, opponent of state Senator Robert Jackson, Angel Vasquez, who was unsuccessful in unseating Robert Jackson. What do you make of, of the moves Congressman Espayat has been trying to make to seemingly sort of grow uh, you know, his his power, especially in upper Manhattan and the Bronx. Um,
1: you know, the 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 congressman made the decisions he did. Uh, I've I've had a working good working relationship with him in the past. We were senators who served together. I've supported him in, in every race that he did, that he ran before he ran before he won for Congress and the one he won uh, in 2016. Uh, so, you know, I've. That was disappointed in his decision, but it's you know it's fine. We we serve the same folks, and so I'm I will uh, look forward to sitting down with them to figure out how we can make sure that we do that. Particularly since I um I, my 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 uh the population of Dominicans in my district is going to get smaller because it's going to get chopped up between me and uh, Senator Sepulveda's district, the 32nd district to my south. There's still going to be work that we can do together, and we'll and that's what I will focus on. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you raised your trip to the Dominican Republic post-primary, and and this uh, mention of the demographics of your district. You're Puerto Rican, Congressman Espaillat is Dominican. There's a lot of Latino elected officials of of various backgrounds. Um, is is any of what's going on here a sort of uh, battle in your mind among uh, Latino elected officials that um, you have to either sort of choose to be, you know, with the Dominican club versus the Puerto Rican club, how is that going? And, and obviously you're, you're, you're doing uh, outreach, you, you know, you have alliances, you're going to the Dominican Republic right after primary day. I know that trip was pre-scheduled, but um, what, what's going on there? What should people understand about that?
1: Well, for me, it's like yes, I am Puerto Rican. I'm born and raised in Puerto Rico. uh, And but I represent currently my district, although as I says, it's going to shift a little bit, so it's going to get smaller. But currently my district has the most amount of Dominicans uh in any state legislative seat in the country, uh that that are in my district. It's the reason why this this trip, which was facilitated and organized by uh, uh by Senator Luis Sepúlveda who's also Puerto Rican, we also, we represent a very Dominican constituency. So for me, and, and I'll remind you that in particularly in the parts of my district that are overwhelmingly Dominican, I overwhelmingly won. Uh, and the reason for that is because of the work that my staff and myself have done over the last 11 years to serve that community. Um, there are certainly going to be dynamics of like, uh, you know, different Latino groups, as far as Latino leaders, um, you know, there's going to be different dynamics that play themselves out. Um, and I, you know, I've got to give some deeper thought to that. Exactly. I focused on how, how I could win the race. And that meant talking to my constituency, particularly the folks who I represented for 11 years. And those folks, many of whom are Dominican, um, overwhelmingly supported me because they, they know the work that we do, you know, they know the services that we provide. They know how hard I fight for them. Mm-hmm. So the yeah, I'm
0: not I'm not you know I'm not trying to uh, at all insinuate there's any divide based on that I'm just curious because it it obviously seems at times like it's it's unclear exactly um especially you know Congressman SBI, what what his sort of um you know political power broker work is is getting at and how he's trying to sort of expand the the reach of his you know um allies and and his reach so I, yeah I don't know to what extent those divides are you know existing within those of you who are in power within the districts you know among constituents you talk to how much it comes up or doesn't come up
1: well i'm gonna all all of these i mean as as you said and there's i mean it would be a lie to say that that relationships that I've had previously are not going to be reassessed based on what happened here but mm-hmm. but the um what what I ultimately want to focus on is is that work you know the 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 intrigue. And this is kind of also my problem is sometimes that I the intrigue is what other people worry about. And, you know, it's like who likes who and who's like doing this and and who's like having to be with this one and who's friendly with this one, who's patting the back of that one. Like I've I've, that that stuff has always like annoyed me at the Mm -hmm. very, you know, in the very at the very least, it's annoyed me. And at most, it's just like infuriated me because it's not. That that back and forth and that rigmarole is ultimately not about the people who are supposed to serve. Mm-hmm. And so it means I have to play it a little bit. And I recognize that I recognize that. But ultimately, I will and, con- and will continue to focus on the work. And I will tell you this, this particular victory in such a in such a hard fought battle where so much money was spent. And as we talked about earlier, so much money spent. On just trying to destroy my reputation, Right. And we were able to win in that environment and we were able to win the team that I put together, which I'm incredibly proud of, and all the folks who helped and all the folks who came out and, and, and knocked on doors and had conversations and organized meeting and greets and all that will that just underlines for me how much more I got to focus on that. Mm. You know, the intrigue most of it will play itself out. And a lot of times I just kind of leave it alone. I just go, Hey, how you doing? And then walk the other direction. I walk towards my constituency and away from the, from the cocktail circuit or what have you, like mm-hmm. I focus on that work. So the intrigue will play itself out. Um, some of the stuff still has to be, many of these folks went on vacation, you know, they're, they're out and about and I, we mm-hmm. haven't had time to count to, to really sit down and, and figure out what the next steps are. And even me and my team, we've you know i as i said i did two things one thing that i had committed to before the primary so i went to arizona immediately after on a on a on a conference on early childhood uh uh, on early childhood education, a 50 state convening was amazing by the Hunt Institute on Arizona. And then I did this trip to the Dominican Republic. So I haven't even I barely had time <laughs> to kind of take stock of where things are. Right. But this intrigue will play itself out.
0: Yeah. I mean, l- let me just say and I know I'm, I don't think you're saying this. You know, part of the reason I'm asking these questions is where some of the political intrigue meets. Uh, you know, people, repre- people, questions about representation, you know, there obviously are always various demographic considerations that people make about who they want to be represented by in elected office or who they think is speaking for them or or representing them well, and even additional substantive policy difference. That, and they, you know, there, there's a brew there, right? It's not all just one or the other. And that's part of why, you know, I think there's intersecting things here that I'm trying to get your perspective on what's what, you know?
1: And and I would tell you, that it's like speaking of a brew. I got a little coffee here that I'm gonna enjoy in a <laughs> second. Um it, it, and I will tell you that yeah, is part of it is I'm still, you know, I'm still kind of figuring out exactly what, you know, all how all, how everything is gonna play out. The the it was it was a hard it, it was a hard campaign. It was I was also reminded I'm a little bit older. So it took a toll on me and it's like being out there every single day, knocking on doors in the evening going to you know going to trains once or twice a day like doing it was it took a little bit of a toll more than I would like to admit because <laughs> I'm a little bit older than I was when I ran for the first time um but but it was so but but a lot of this stuff is still gonna be figured out like i yeah I'm still it's still very very
0: fresh um You're listening to Max Politics here with Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm joined by State Senator Gustavo Rivera, who is the uh, presumptive Democratic nominee in the 33rd State Senate District, having uh, declared victory in the primary uh, there in this shifting districts, thanks to redistricting uh, in the Bronx that covers Uh, A whole large swath of the Bronx, you can look at the map on the uh, New York redistricting and you website from the CUNY mapping service. Uh, Very interesting shifts in the districts in the Bronx there. Last uh, two questions here for you. I'll let you go. You've referenced the New York Health Act a number of times. That's obviously the legislation that you've been championing for a number of years as the health uh, committee chair in the state Senate Mm -hmm. um, to try to bring universal health care, single payer health care to New York. Your colleague in the Assembly, Dick Gottfried, very longtime chair of the Assembly uh, Health Committee and champion of the New York Health Act, is retiring. He's shall be uh, missed. He shall of be office. Folks should also check out my exit interview with uh, Assemblymember Gottfried from earlier this year. I think I caught up with him in June. Uh, We had a really interesting discussion about the arc of his 50 plus years in the New York State Assembly. Um, A really interesting conversation there. So he got at uh, when I asked him about the New York Health Act not passing despite Democratic, full Democratic control of the legislature and obviously the governor's office. There's many opinions within the Democratic Party about it. But. Um, he pointed to one of the big challenges that you and I have, have talked a little bit about before being, uh, some of the, some of the big and prominent labor unions really having concerns about it. Um, you had a lot of labor with you in this race. You're trying to get to a place to pass the New York health act, uh, What's the path ahead on that? Just, you know, not to go in all the ins and outs here, but you you're running on, you know, your support for you had a lot of labor with you. Labor has been uh raising questions about it because lots of labor unions like the healthcare plans they've negotiated. Uh, what's the path ahead as from your perspective on this?
1: Well, first of all, let make sure let's make sure that we, that oh, we I said something that wrong. Back. <laughs> what did i say what did i say wrong go ahead the, i'm just saying sir if i'm not if i'm not mistaken earlier in this conversation you corrected me no no, I, no please thing. go 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 so, so no the, the, the it's not a correction but just a brief yeah, yeah. i want to make sure that people understand there are a lot of labor supporters to the new york health act there's a lot Fair. of them the nurses 1199 like we go down we go down the list but the the but there are certainly folks who are opponents of it in labor as well and what i will say is that it has been it has always been i mean i was gonna i will i was just gonna say it has always been our uh because when i say it we usually when i speak about this i think about dick godfrey to myself right because we're the ones that carry this bill and we're you know we, we want to carry it over the finish line and i will have to do it uh, i will have to do it without with without dick godfrey and i will and i will do it for certainly for every new yorker but with him in mind as well so we our goal has always been to make sure that we get over the finish line with strong labor support across the board. And, and that continues to be the goal here. Uh, I will tell you that there is a working group uh, that the leader has assigned, has appointed to work on this that unfortunately had to take kind of a break because of this madness. <laughs> um, we have we've uh, but we're, we're going to get back to work, um, much like the working groups that she has assigned that she has appointed in the past to deal with big complicated issues so we can reach a consensus within our conference um it's uh, that that is the goal of this working group and i'm very thankful for for her uh, for her commitment to getting to a place where we can actually have some consensus within the conference uh to be able to pass something uh to be able to pass it and so my goal will continue to be that i want to work along with labor to get to a uh, to get to a yes uh, we have uh, there's a lot of shifts that we have done. Uh, I keep saying we, as again Dick and I have been working on this bill for a while. Sure, uh, there's a lot of shifts that we have made and and uh, and amendments that have been made specifically in response to specifically in response to uh, uh, concerns that have existed about certain pieces of it, and we've actually changed and expanded the bill and crafted in different ways, and we're still looking to to figure out what are those things that we can do uh to be able to address the concerns that exist that are legitimate to be able to pass a bill that we can that that achieves the goal of providing universal health care while also uh, addressing the concerns that exist from labor or any other organization or any other group um, and we'll continue to do that um, and i said we because certainly the advocates and myself will continue to do it and whomever the sponsor the new sponsor in the assembly is uh, as well as the chair of the health committee in the assembly i hope to continue Continue to work with them on this as well. Um mm-hmm. this was but but, uh, but this is what I said to folks in the in, in the community who whoever asked me why hasn't it passed yet? Well, we're trying to do three three reasons. So like, certainly there are there is out there is some labor opposition, some labor opposition and that is certainly something not to be not to be dismissed and I want to work on to make sure that that we can resolve that. But we're trying to do something that is incredibly difficult here. We're trying to fundamentally change the way in which we deliver healthcare in the state of New York and by doing that providing a model for the rest of the country, something that in the United States has never been done. That is not something easy to do. Whenever you have a big, complicated idea, it does not pass immediately. It has to build up momentum. We're going to continue to do that. And around and the third one that's kind of tied to the second one as well is that there is a mentality that exists in not only New York, but in the, in the entire country, the United States, that the way to get good health care is to get good insurance, that is the sense that people have. Oh, how do, are you going to get healthcare? Well, I just got to get a good job or have enough money to pay for insurance or whatever. And we have to do this differently. We have to approach it differently. That mentality that the way to get good healthcare is to get good insurance, we have to break that. And that is difficult to do when there has been like decades, talking about 50, 60, 70 years of just the, the 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 concept that to get good healthcare is to get good insurance. And one thing is not the same as the other. So mm-hmm. when we're trying to do something that's fundamentally so so difficult with a mentality that's kind of built into everybody that the way to get good healthcare is to get good insurance. And then we have allies, folks who have usually allied on these issues, still on the fence or opposed, I I gotta work on all of that. Doing something like that is not simple, but it is something that I'm committed to, Max, because it's gonna change people's lives. That's what I'm ultimately in this for. I'm
0: not gonna open up a whole nother uh, full discussion on that. We'll talk about that more as you get into the government season next year. I'm sure you'll come back and chat, really focused on that another time. Uh, As we say goodbye, State Senator Gustavo Rivera, any uh, anybody you haven't mentioned that you want to give a quick thank shout out. Thank you to in the closing moments who helped you uh, keep your seemingly keep your seat
1: here, you know, until all the you votes really are do really doing that to me. Like when you're you're playing me off with the Oscar music and then you're asking me to just be like, I, I want to thank my mom. And, no, and, and, yeah, and, yeah, and exactly. That's I will, exactly I what, this, what I'm doing.
0: I to say, say this. Dear, Wait, let me finish the sir, question. And oh, is there definitely. any? And is there any one other person that you want to give an "I told you so" to, uh, who you told to stay out of the race at least, who didn't, who went with your opponent, and you want to uh, publicly r- remind? I didn't. One, I didn't, one I didn't, and one. I'm go gonna go say, ahead.
1: I'm not going to say "I told you so." The the, the 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 what I said earlier, it was not an "I told you so." It was an I certainly don't appreciate when people lie about who I am, and I have named one specific person who consistently did that. And so that's that's what I'll say about that as it relates to. But as it relates to the thank yous, like whether it's my governmental staff who for a long time has consistently served people. And by the way, they didn't stop. I had a full campaign staff that was separate from my governmental staff because my governmental staff could not stop doing the work because my folks still are in need. So they didn't stop. Took some weekends off and some evenings off, but they didn't stop the work. The campaign team that I put together, as well as all the folks in labor who supported me and all my constituency. And I would just say, I would just underline anybody who hears this, who lives in the newly drawn 33rd, who doesn't, who did not vote for me, I am looking forward to getting to know you. I'm getting forward to meeting you, looking forward to meeting you, looking forward to hearing about your concerns. And again, whether you voted for me or not, I work for you. And that has always and will always be how I focus. What is the work about? The work is about serving people. That's what I will continue to do. I'm looking forward to continue to do it at least two more years.
0: All right. Somehow I made it through this uh, entire interview without asking about bail, but uh, we'll save that for another time as well. That's been discussed exhaustively, so I didn't bring it up, but uh, plenty more to discuss there in the future uh, and a lot more. Anyway, thanks for taking all the time. State Senator Gustavo Rivera. Uh, coming out of a victorious Democratic primary, very likely heading back to the Senate in uh, the new year, in uh, representing the new 33rd State Senate District in the Bronx. Thanks for taking all this time to have a good long chat about a lot of these issues. Appreciate the time, uh, and be well. <laughs>